Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all today. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you to Corinth, uh, your leadership, for allowing uh, us to participate in the pastor swap. Uh, we are all excited um, um, to give the word of God in each other's um, pulpits to God's precious people. If you will, take your Bibles with me and navigate to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read a healthy passage there, verses 1 through 11. We will read the verses, and then I will offer prayer, and we'll get to work. Philippians chapter number 1, I'm reading from an English standard version of God's holy word. It reads like this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making my prayers with joy, because of the partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and to be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ, the day of Christ. Last verse, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory of God and praise, to the glory and praise of God. This morning, I want to talk from the idea of joy and gospel partnership. Joy and gospel partnership. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you so much for being able to gather this morning. Thank you for all the pastors who are in the various pulpits today proclaiming the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for these moments. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for the people of God. We're just so thankful Lord, for what you have done for us. We ask now, as we proclaim the word, that you would, would give me the right timing and tone and help us to understand your word. We need you now in these precious moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I want to praise God for my wife and my children being here with me. They are troopers indeed. And yes, I put this suit on purpose. I put it on on purpose so we'll... Would, you all could mention it to Will. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll talk about it later. The pastors, we, we meet at least by uh, every, every other week to encourage each other and to pray and to plan and to think and build and those kinds of things. So thank you for allowing us to be, have that kind of partnership uh, as we are endeavoring to grow the kingdom of God. doesn't matter whose church is being blessed, just as long as the kingdom of God is being expanded. Can I get an amen right there? So we're on mission for the Lord. We're talking about, from this passage, joy and gospel partnership. From the book of Philippians, chapter 
number one, these verses that I just read to us, it is to help us to understand Paul's mind and his heart as we read the text, we read the text, how he feels about the people of God. As the Philippian church was a church that he birthed. This church, Paul is writing a letter to the Philippian church to do several things. One of the things is to thank them for their gifts that they have been sending to uh, him as he's been in ministry. Another is to encourage the people of God to stand strong in times of persecution. Matter of fact, this entire book, most scholars would label it the epistle of joy because in this Philippian text, you can hear this underlining theme of joy. Matter of fact, we got to, if we were agreed on to uh, chapter four, he would say, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, oh, you're reading the Bible too, amen. It's a joy-filled epistle that even in the matter, even in the midst of all kinds of circumstances, we can have eternal joy. It's not just happiness. Happiness is based on what is happening. Joy is eternal, and it comes from a different source, a different place. And so Paul writes this letter to encourage them in the middle of their own personal persecution to remain steadfast in the gospel. He, he encourages them to, to stand firm in one spirit, contending for one faith, together with one mind. He's written this epistle to encourage them to hold on to the Lord's unchanging hand. And so Paul puts pen to parchment and really presses this wonderful possibility of praising God through the midst of our trials and tribulations. And Paul says, I'm filled with joy as I write this letter to you and as I pray for you. That the people of God move Paul to a level of joy that I pray, we all pray, we will experience. Paul has two responses to the Philippians' love and joy and concern that they've showed to him. His two responses are, one, thankfulness. He's being very thankful for them in these texts, verses 1 through 8. And number two, he's prayerful for the people of Philippi in verses 9 through 11. That's the two divisions we'll deal with this morning. He is both thankful and prayerful for the people of God. So let's look at that. Notice with me the thankfulness of Paul. In verses 1 through 8, we looked, reread it together, and we see that there is thankfulness there. That Paul says, I thank my God in remembrance you. Uh, Where he starts off in one, uh, listing, uh, giving greetings to Paul and Timothy, and uh, to, I'm sorry, um, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints and Christ who are in Philippi, bishops and deacons and all that wonderful thing there. There's some, there's some wonderful greetings here that bless me because I noticed this, that Paul was thankful for the people of Philippi. He's thankful for the people of Philippi because, here it is, he was thankful, would you consider this for the growth of the Philippian church? The growth of the Philippian church, because he listed here, he lists to all the saints, he says, to all the bishops and deacons, I love it, it's got S's on them. There means there's more. And what excites me about it is that in Acts chapter 16 is where we find the birth of the Philippian church. 
It's in Acts chapter 16 where Paul goes down in the Philippi and he meets Lydia and she is his first convert there, someone who is a seller of of linen. He also uh, brings deliverance to a young damsel who was being used by the devil to a fortune tale. And he brings, God uses them to bring deliverance. And Paul ends up in a Philippian jail. And the Bible tells us he is beaten, him and Silas. But that beautiful text says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas gave praise unto the Lord. And the Bible says that the the ground shook, there was an earthquake, the chains fell off, the shackles fell off, the gate, the, the jail cells were opened up, and the jailer, when all the dust settled, he looked up thinking that everyone was gone, was about to kill himself, and Paul yells out, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And the jailer asked the most beautiful question that anyone can ask, sirs, what must I do to be saved? From there, this Philippian jailer, he becomes a convert, and his whole household is saved, and here births the Philippian church. And now it's possible, it's 10 years later, as Paul is writing this letter to the Philippian church, and now he's saying, he's saying, greetings to all the saints, to all the bishops, to all the deacons. Nothing warms your heart more than to see God's church growing. Amen? Nothing warms your heart more than to see that the ministry maybe that you are stepping down from or putting in the hands of someone else, nothing blesses the heart more than to see it growing and thriving. And, and there's no reason for jealousy or bitterness when it's doing better than what maybe you were doing in. It doesn't matter. It's all God's church. We're all God's people. So Paul is thankful for the people of Philippi, the growth. And I love it because he's not just thankful By saying it, he really means it. Would you investigate the text with me just for a little bit? Look with me and hear the language. It's so genuine. Look at the language of Paul here. Verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all making my prayer, here it is, with joy in my heart. Look at that language. Go on, let's go. uh, Verse number 7, he says, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. Feel what Paul is saying. This is not just words. This is his emotions here. Look at verse 8. There it is again. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affections of Christ. Paul is genuinely thankful for the people. Let me say it like this. We should live in a way where people are thankful to be in partnership with us. We should live in a way where people are thankful to be in partnership with us. Paul is genuinely thankful. And I'm not just talking partnership here in the church, which is, which is, which is great, but that partnership that's at your four walls, that partnership that you have with your coworkers, the partnerships that we all have, we should live in a way where They're thankful that we know each other, that we're connected together. Paul has this genuine language. How you and I should live should make people think good about us. It should make people feel great about us. And it should cause people to gladly pray for us. I see that here in the text. Notice Paul's thankfulness. He's thankful for the people. But notice he's also thankful for the partnership. Look with me again in verse 
3 through 5. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all making my prayer with joy. Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul is using this great word we know, koinonia in the Greek, which means partnership. It means fellowship, an association, a community, a communion that's happened. This joint adventure that's going on here, Paul is thankful for their partnership. They share, the Philippian church, share their benevolence with Paul. They share their benevolence with Paul. They give to Paul, and he says, from the first day until now. In other words, this isn't their first time being a blessing to the minister, to the preacher, to the one we call Paul. Nothing encourages a person more than when you and I support them in their efforts to serve the Lord. Nothing, so, nothing encourages the missionary more than when we give financially and give pray in our prayers and give our time and attention to them. Nothing encourages a person more, a believer more than when you and I support them in their endeavors. Nothing encourages the music ministry more than when you participate in worship. Ali, I didn't know you played the piano. You, you got me. You got me. That was good. Nothing, and beautifully, nothing encourages us more than when you and I support each other. And you know what that does? That makes us go on just a little bit further. I know we should do it because we're called to it. I know we should do it because God has given us the grace. Man, but what if we do it also because we are fully supported to do the work of the Lord? Paul shares, the Philippian church shares their benevolence with Paul. They believed in Paul the man. So much so that they supported Paul. He says, because of your partnership, Paul has written this letter in part, again, because they have sown into Paul's life and in his ministry. They believed in who Paul was. Paul was a man who, who at times did not work, did not allow the church to support him. There were times when Paul said, like in Thessalonica, he said, you know what, I could use my apostolic authority and I could make sure y'all give me a check, but that's not what I'm doing Paul worked as they worked so that there would be no issues, any conflict with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is a man who they can now trust and they've supported. They believed in Paul. Not only did they believe in Paul the man, but they believed in Paul the message, Paul's message. He says, for our partnership in the gospel, our partnership in the gospel, Paul's message of Jesus was lived out loud so much so that they were willing to support Paul's message. Hey, I know you probably know, but I'm going to, because I love talking about Jesus. What is the message? The message is what we call the gospel. The good news and glad tidings that you and I were lost, sinking in sin, but Jesus Christ was sent for our salvation. And because of his work on the cross, you and I have everlasting and eternal life. And we have a new life in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he or she is a new creature, a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. We're brand new in Jesus. And that's why we preach the gospel. Because nothing brings people together like the gospel. Nothing has more power than the gospel. 
If Paul was in here right now, he would say to you, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew and to the Greek and to all those who will believe. Nothing transforms lives like the gospel, not the club, not these different programs. No one can touch your heart and our hearts like Jesus the Christ. This is not a religion we're in, my brothers and sisters. This is a relationship we are in. We are in deep relationship with Jesus, and he's the one that touches the heart. And so Paul says, we have this partnership in the gospel, this good news that Jesus lived and that he died for us. Listen, I want to tell you, there's nobody like Jesus. I want to move. There's no one like Jesus. There was no one who was born like Jesus. There was no one who taught like Jesus. There was no one who lived like Jesus. There was no one who died like him. And there was no one who was resurrected like Jesus. And therefore, there is no one who's coming back quite like him. No, he's coming back with all power and authority in his hands. And we long for the day when we shall see him face to face. Can you take a moment and just put your hands together in affirmation? They believed in Paul's message that Jesus saved. They believed in Paul the man. They believed in Paul the, his message. They believed in Paul's mission, this partnership in the gospel. The church at Philippi was the only church that entered into fellowship with Paul to help support his ministry. Matter of fact, if you were reading a little further on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13 through 16, here's what Paul said himself. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I, first, when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Verse 16, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Can you understand why Paul is thankful for the Philippian people? They have given, they've shared in their benevolence but they've also shared in Paul's burdens. Look with me in the text. We're still in God's holy word. Verse 7, would you read it with me? He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. Hear that emotion? Because I hold you in my heart. For you are partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. They shared in Paul's burdens. Nothing encourages us more than to support one another, but man, nothing also encourages us more than when someone has your back. <laughs> when someone has your back. You talk about a great encouragement. When you know someone has your back, you, can, you might stand a little taller and you may take a few more risks because you know who, who has your, your back. Paul is saying here, that he's acknowledging that the Philippian people were not ashamed of him when he was imprisoned. In the ancient times, to be imprisoned was to look, be looked down upon. It was great shame in the ancient world. And nonetheless, the they stood, Philippian church stood with him in solidarity as he stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who are you standing with today? Who are you supporting today? Well, I'm supporting my party. That's great. But when it comes to the gospel, 
who, what person on your job can you stand with and support? Maybe you don't believe the exact same things, but maybe they're going through such a, a tough time in their lives that they need you, the only light that might be in the whole building, to stand with them in support of prayer. Well, they're not good. They don't serve Jesus. That's not our call. Our call is to be lights in a dark world and to love even when others are not loving us. And that's hard. That's tough. But it's the call of God on our lives. And here's good news that we don't, we can't do that by ourselves. How many know you and I need the Lord to get that done? Somebody, before I could get it out of my mouth, I saw you. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to love when you don't feel like loving. When it's, it's, it's a decision you make, not an emotion you feel. Love is not void of emotions, but love is not, cannot be ruled by emotion. It takes a decision. And Paul says, these guys made a decision to support me, to stand behind me when I was in prison for the sake of the gospel. Someone wrote this beautiful poem that says, God hath not promised, that God has not promised skies ever blue, flowers, strong pathways always for you. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without pain, peace, uh, joy without rain, joy without sorrow, and peace without pain. But he has promised strength from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. Lord, I thank you because I can't do this without you. I cannot give, forgive without you. I, I cannot keep pushing forward when there's so much resistance. I, I can't keep lifting my head up to shout your name when sometimes I feel afraid. Maybe sometimes ashamed. Lord, the only way we can be bright lights for you is if you help us. And Paul is saying, not only has the Lord helped him, but it brings him great joy to know the people of God helped him through his tough time of imprisonment. Who is in, quote unquote, a prison-like situation that God is calling you to come behind them to just kind of hold them up, support them, so that they can get through this tough season? And I guarantee when they see the light of God in you, it'll do something for them. Paul here acknowledges that they did not, um, they were not ashamed of him, but they also did not abandon him when he began to defend the gospel. Sometimes God puts you in situations where you have to make some hard choices. Either we fit in or we're going to stand out. Either we're going to stand for truth or we're going to compromise on truth. There are times you and I must make hard stands. There are times you, you have to put your foot down and say, this is God's word. It's not my opinion. This is God's word. And if I believe his word, then there's some things, if we would be honest, there's some scriptures and verses in this thing. And when we would be honest, we would say, Lord, I don't particularly like this one. Lord, I, I hear you. I believe your word, but I want to tell you, at the gate, before we get going any further, before I curl my lip up or get an attitude, I want to let you know I don't, I don't like this, this passage. But he says, it's okay. Because there are times you still have to take a stand for me. They defend, he says, I'm defending the gospel, the confirmation of the gospel. They share in this burden, and Paul is, 
is there to defend. And what's beautiful about the Philippian, this passage here, as Paul is in a prison, it will go on to, we'll find out that Paul is sharing the gospel with the soldiers that are coming to sit with him. Paul is under, uh, with a prison guard every day of his life. And usually, if I'm not mistaken, they have maybe three three shifts a day where uh, some guards come in, sit with him, and then the next thing you know, they, they're shipped out. And so here Paul is. Can you imagine Paul being in this situation who is filled with the joy of the Lord, begins to share his faith and his testimony with every soldier that comes in, that's sitting with him. And by the time the, the, the book is over, the letter's over, Paul will have let us know that, that the word of God has gone all the way up to the top. That the palace now is speaking about Jesus because Paul is using this time in his life to declare the goodness of the Lord. And what brings Paul joy is to know that the Philippian people did not abandon him as he stood for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul is thankful for what they've done. And, they, and finally, he's, he's thankful here for their progress. And I'm sure, verse 6 and 7, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way because I hold you so dear in my heart. He says God is going to bring completion into the work. He is faithful to complete everything he has started in their lives. God is there seeing them through. He is there, and I'm sure he says of this one thing, he that started the work, God is faithful to finish what he has started in the church and even in your life. Paul is thankful. That's his first response. But his second response is he is prayerful. And that's where you and I will conclude our time together today. Paul is prayerful for the Philippian folks. He's thankful for them because they have stuck it out with him. They shared in their benevolence. They shared in that burden that Paul carried. So he's standing with them. And you and I can stand with each other and celebrate each other even in the midst of some hard times. But notice this final thing here is the prayerfulness of Paul. Verses 9 through 11, it says, And it is my prayer that you love, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory of God. And the praise of God. Not only should we live in the way that people are thankful for us, we should live in a way that people are prayerful towards us. Nothing can go any further than can go the further than prayer. When we pray, it is us saying, God, I'm dependent upon you. When we do not pray, it is saying to God, I got this one. Lord, I got it. And every one of us knows that we need God to help us in every situation or circumstances of our life. And so Paul is now saying to the church, I am praying for you. So much so, I'm praying with this great joy because of what they've done. They've been, he's thankful for them. Now he's being prayerful towards them. He prays, I put it in three categories, he prays for that they would flourish in their spiritual capacity. That they would flourish. Look at the text. Verse 9 says, And it is my prayer to you that love may abound more and more with knowledge and all spiritual discernment. He 
prays that they would have an increase in their capacity to love. I told you, you need help from above for this one. <laughs> that you would love, here it is, our enemies. That we would love those who do evil against us, despitefully use us. We would love people who are not like us and different than us. We would have the open, an openness that only comes from heaven above to love those who seem to be unlovable. Hey, maybe not out there is not what catches your attention. Maybe it's what's happening in your own four walls in your family. God, I need love. I need, as the old saints used to say, a double dose of the Holy Ghost so I can love my spouse. I need, I need more capacity, Lord, to endure some of, the, some of the hard moments that we're having together with raising our children. I, I need more love to be able to cover this issue with my in-laws. God, I, if you don't help me, I'm going I'm to make a mess of this and blow it all up. Paul and says, I'm praying for you that God would make your love increase. We need help from God to do that. We need help from God, even in our four walls, to love the one who has hurt us the most. Only by his Holy Spirit can he do that. Paul prays for our love. You know the great text in 1 Corinthians 13 and 4 through 8 that talks about love and its patience, its kindness. And love is not jealous or boastful or pride or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And I love this particular one. He says, it keeps no record. It keeps no record of being wronged. I told you, you need love to deal with some of the things we must deal with. Paul goes on to say, he says, listen, uh, in verse 6, it does not rebuke, I'm sorry, it does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Prophecies and speaking in unknown tongues and special knowledge will cease, but love will last forever. Paul says, I'm praying that you would flourish in your love, flourish in your knowledge here. He says, I pray you would abound. It's all connected. Abound in love and in knowledge. One commentator said it like this, the ability to distinguish, uh, to distinguish in a, in a, in, is a part of maturity. When a baby learns to speak, it may call every four-legged animal a bow-wow. But the child discovers that there are cats, mice, cows, and other four-legged creatures. To the little child, one automobile is just like another. But to a crazy teen driver... It's something different. They can spot the difference between models that are fast, faster than their parents can spot them. In other words, that there's maturity here, that there's a knowledge and understanding that surpasses what we currently have now, that we should be growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, growing in biblical knowledge, knowing more of who the Lord is, also growing in an experiential knowledge. The same God who we declare brings you joy should be the same joy you and I are experiencing. The same salvation that we preach about or we teach about or try to witness about should be the same salvation you yourself have experienced. That it's not just a matter of profession, it's also a matter of possession. That we possess eternal life because of what we have received from Christ Jesus. He talks about flourishing in this knowledge, to understand God's word, flourishing in this knowledge, to live 
out the faith. But then he talks about flourishing in discernment, he says, that you will grow in discernment, that without discernment, you and I will remain immature in recognizing or responding to God's word, God's will, and God's ways. You and I must discern between good and evil. You and I must discern the difference between justice and injustice. You and I must discern the difference and hear the tones and recognize when even God's people can get too political or we can become too liberal. We must discern the tones. We discern it through the word of God. We, we can rec- How do you know when something is a counterfeit? You must know what's real. And when we know the truth of God's word, we can discern when something is not quite right. It may even sound right, but the spirit of it is not right. That's what happened in Acts chapter 16 when the damsel was saying, these men, these are men of God of the Most High. She was saying all the right things, but what pushed her was a spirit of divination. So it's not a matter of just what we're saying. It's, it's, it's what we believe. It's what we're living out in our faith. And discernment helps us to discover whether or not I'm getting of the path that the Lord wants you and I to be on. Stand for your convictions. Make sure they are based on the word of God. But also realize when God is trying to lead you in the right direction so that his name can be made great, not our, not us be made great. Listen, so that he can be made right in the eyes of people, not so that we can be right in people's eyes. Everything we do, I pray to God, everything we remember we do is for the glory of the king so that he can be honored. I'm closing with this. Not only did he say he tell them that they might flourish. That's one prayer. Flourish in their love, in their knowledge, and their discernment. Then he talks about, he prays that they would stand firm in their moral conduct. Verse number 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so you will be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. Moral conduct. Be firm in your lifestyle. Be firm in following Jesus. Be firm in living out loud for Jesus Christ. Make it tried and true when no one is accusing you tells them no one to stand firm but then to be filled with the righteous character of Christ may you always be filled with the fruit of salvation the righteous character produced in the life by Jesus Christ when Christ is our portion when he is the one we are following there's productivity and there's praise There's productivity, meaning you are now bearing fruit that others can see. At some point, we're going to make this gospel known and not just hidden. You say, Reverend, my religion, my my relationship with God is a private thing, and I appreciate that. Yes, sure. But at some point, if he be lifted up from the earth, he said, I'll draw all men unto me. And he was lifted up on the cross. Now he asked us, to lift his name up high. Matter of fact, Matthew said, he said, let your light shine before men that they may, I like this church, y'all read the Bible, that they may see your good works and then glorify God which is in heaven. People need to see. I understand that's why you got to be careful what you're texting and posting because people can, and if what they're seeing 
It's not good works. I want to tell you, I need to let you know you're being a bad advertisement for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm passionate about what I believe. I get it. I'm passionate too. But listen. (laughs) Remember, we want people to know the king. If people upset you so much and you feel like they're just, they're just, they're just defaming Jesus and they're not being good Christian, that people are not holding up the moral, this, that, and the third. Right. If they're not doing it and it's bothering you so much, what's the answer? No. Who is the answer? Jesus is the answer. Not my next post. Not, not the deep, hard conversation I'm going to have about a particular thing that rubs me the wrong way. If the world is, quote-unquote, going to hell in a handbasket, I don't, I don't mean to... If that's what's happening, is it us who fixes it, or are we to point people to the only one who can transform a person's heart? That's our responsibility. Live in a way where people can see your good works and say, you know what? I may not agree with everything, but here's what I am going to do. I want to know who they serve because they're the kindest, they're the nicest, thoughtful. They have their strong conviction, but they're not mean with it. They're not abrasive with it. They're standing for the truth of the gospel. And you know what? That intrigues me. And you will never know how much God will use what you're standing on and what you're doing in your life to bring people to a right relationship with him. Be filled with the righteous character of Christ. It's a life of productivity, and it's a life of praise. I'm, I'm closing. It's a life full of praise. He says right there in that text, verse 11 again, he says that you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus, filled with the fruit of salvation, he talks about, it says, for, it's for, I'm sorry, for this will bring much glory and praise to the Lord. Isn't that what it's all about? Lord, you get the glory out of our lives. God, help me humble myself so that you can get the glory out of my lives. Did you know God has you where he has you because he plans to use you where you are? And you may be the only light in a dark place. Don't let people take your light away. Let it shine bright for Jesus Christ so that at the end of the day, people will get the, God will get the glory and you and I will be the better for it. And our lives will be remembered because of what Christ has done inside of us. I close with this. Charles Spurgeon said this. A good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you. So carve your name on carve, carve your name on hearts and not on marbles. There's a joy in gospel partnership when you and I are serving together, when we live lives that people say, you know what, I am thankful for you and I am prayerful of you. When we do that, there's joy. There's joy in serving one another. And I believe there's joy in heaven to see God's people unifying together. Not just in this church, but somebody on your job you need to unify with so that the light of Christ can get brighter and brighter. In your four walls, unify. In your committees, unify. We're partners. Let's pray. 
God, as your word for the people of God, we pray by your Holy Spirit, you would use it, place it where it needs to be. God, I even confess I need your help, need more love, patience. God, help us all to keep our minds on you and your mission and your purpose. Our neighbor needs you. Our coworker needs you. Our loved one needs you. Lord, we pray we're never a hindrance. We pray we're never blocking this connection between you and them. Matter of fact, we pray you'd use us. Lord, forgive us for any kind of complaining or sideways talk or maybe even the political thing where we've gotten really, really heavy because we're really, really passionate. But I pray our passion for the other things would never outweigh our passion for you. Would you ignite us afresh so that it can be just like Paul says, I, I yearn for the people of God. I yearn to be in partnership. God, we give you the praise for everything you're going to do and how you're doing things for us. Would you bring us into a right relationship with you? There's someone in here today who's never said, Jesus, come into my heart. My prayer today, Lord, you would stir their souls that they would ask like the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? God, we give you glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.